Well, good morning, Vail Church. How's everybody doing? Hey, for those of you that maybe haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, my name is Steve Poe. I pastored Northview Church down in Carmel, Indiana for 23 years, just retired as of the first of the year and now preaching around the country. I have been here before. You all did a series based on my book, Creatures of Habit, and I came in and preached the first message of that series on the topic of anger. Some of you may remember that. Um, the first couple of weeks, I forgot to bring books with me, and I've had several of you ask if I had them, so I do have them back there. They're back at uh, the cafe. You can stop and get one of those. I'd love for you to have it. You guys have one? <laughs> so anyway, I'm so glad that you're here. Pray with me, and I'm going to jump right into this. Father, I thank you, and I praise you for your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, for who you are and all that you do in our life. And I pray, God, that as we get into your word today, Lord, that you would open up our eyes and ears to see and hear all that you want to do in our lives. Thank God. Thank you, God. We love you and praise you, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, did you hear about the lady that got on the bus with her baby? And the bus driver looked at her and said, lady, that's the ugliest baby I have ever seen. Well, she was completely offended, and she went to the back of the bus, just steaming, sat down by a guy, and she said, that bus driver just offended me, made me so angry. And he said, then you need to go right back up there and tell him off. Go on, go right now. I'll hold your monkey. <clears throat> How many know it's okay to laugh in church? Yeah, it is. Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a series called True North, and really the point of that was is there is a point on the map in the North Pole that is True North. We say, well, how do we find True North? Well, we use a compass, don't we? And a compass has a magnet, and the, and the way a compass works is the magnet draws towards the Earth's magnetic field. The problem is magnetic north and true north, are, they can be off just a little bit depending on where you're standing in the world. For instance, if you're standing in, in San Francisco, it might be just one degree off. If you're standing in New Zealand, it may be four or five degrees off. It all depends on where you're standing. Some of you say, well, Steve, that, that doesn't matter. That's not big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. One degree, so what? The problem is that the longer you go off course, even if it's only one degree, the farther away you get from where you intended to go. The example we used was if you're going to the moon, and you discover you're only one degree off course, doesn't seem like that would matter, but by the time you arrived at the moon, you would miss the moon by 4,169 miles. Crazy, right? Well, we said that this really works in life as well, because true north is Jesus. Jesus is our rock. Jesus is our foundation. He is the only solid ground to base your life on. And we said the problem is, is that there is a magnetic north in our world and the culture is always trying to pull us off course. It may be trying to pull us off course with worldviews, with ideas, with values, whatever it is. And oftentimes our response is, well, it's just a little bit off course. It's not that big a deal. I, I realize maybe it's a little sin, maybe it's a little white lie, but it's not that big of a deal. The problem is when you continue to live like that, the longer you go, the further off course you get, and the more, uh, the more obvious it is that you're missing the main destination, which is your relationship with Jesus Christ. So the point, is that, uh, the point in this series is that we need to be traveling true north. 
We need to be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have to be careful not to allow the magnetic pulls of our culture to pull us off course. So you say, okay, I get it. So how do we find true north? Well, if you remember, we said Jesus made it clear in John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say I am a way or I speak truth. He said, I am the way. I am the way. I am the very definition of what truth is. And no one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to build a bridge. Because of the sin in our life, there is a gulf, a gap, a chasm that keeps us from getting to God. He is the only way. He steps in the chasm, he grabs the hand of God and grabs your hand and brings you back together because he is true north. Jesus is true north. Maybe some of you are headed true north, but the pull of this world continues to get you off course. And if you're really honest with yourself, you recognize what that might be. The, true, the truth of this is, my friends, it's a constant battle for every single one of us. We all battle this all the time. Why? Jesus told us in John chapter 10, he said the thief, the thief is Satan, the devil, the thief comes only. He only comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus wanted to make this clear to us that I don't care who you are, Satan is out to destroy you. He said, oh, he doesn't even know who I am. Don't kid yourself. He is out to destroy you. The problem is, is that we don't always understand how he works because oftentimes we think, okay, so God wants me to worship him. Satan wants me to worship him. Not necessarily. Yes, Jesus wants you to worship him. Satan wants you to worship you. Satan is just trying to get your focus off of Christ onto yourself where you put yourself on the throne of your life. And if he can do that, he knows that he has taken you away from true north. So Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. So the enemy is out to destroy you. So that's why we call it spiritual warfare, because it is a battle. Which, listen, there is a constant tug of war going on in your life. It's important that we understand who Jesus is so we're always headed true north. If I were to ask how many believe in Jesus, most of you would raise your hand. If I ask you to define who Jesus was, we might get all kinds of different definitions. Jesus wants us to be clear on his identity. He wants us to understand his character and he wants us to understand his nature. So in John, if you remember, in John's gospel, he gave us seven I am statements. They're what? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. These seven statements are like metaphors. It's a word picture. It's an illustration to help us better understand who he is, but more importantly, how to best have a healthy relationship with him. And guys, do you understand these seven statements all elevate him to titles that can only be claimed by God. We looked at three of them in this series. We looked at I am the resurrection and the life, I am the good shepherd, and today we're gonna look at I am the true vine. But if you remember, the first one was I am the resurrection. And I said, if you don't get any others, if you don't understand any other definition of Christ or characteristic of Christ, you need to get that one. 
because no resurrection, no Christianity. No resurrection, no Christianity. Our Christianity, our faith is based on the fact that Jesus died and he rose from the grave. So it's very, very important that we understand this characteristic or this nature. What's the difference between Jesus and all the other people throughout time that have claimed to be God? There have been hundreds, if not thousands of people that have claimed to be God. What differentiates Jesus from all of them? The fact that he came back from the grave. No one else can claim that. Everyone else died, but no one else came back. Jesus conquered death when he came back from the dead. Then we looked at I am the good shepherd. We said that this characteristic shows us that Jesus wants to guide us and protect us because he loves us and he wants the best for us. Guys, it's important that we understand that Jesus is still on the throne, that he has our back. And it's important to understand that his, his desire is not for us to wander around aimlessly confused, not understanding where we need to go, but he, just like a shepherd guides his sheep, he wants to lead us as well. I am the true vine is what we're gonna look at today. In John chapter 15, verse one, it says this. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. In this metaphor, our heavenly father, he says he's the gardener. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. The vine, listen, the vine is the sustenance of life for the branches. When Jesus said, I am the true vine to his disciples, they immediately knew what he was talking about because they thought of the Old Testament. Why would it take them back to the Old Testament? Because Israel had always been considered the vine of God. In fact, in Isaiah chapter five, God describes Israel as his vineyard, his chosen people. The Jews are God's chosen people, right? But now Jesus said, we're in a new covenant and I'm gonna redefine this for you. This is what you used to believe, but this is what I want you to believe today. Jesus said, today, now I'm the true vine. So relationship with God was no longer made possible through a nation, Israel. A relationship with God would now come through Jesus Christ. So when Jesus said, I am the true vine, the authentic vine, the genuine vine, he was declaring that their hope would no longer be in their heritage but it's now found in an intimate relationship with him. In verse three, it went on to say, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus says, you're already clean. Well, what in the world does that even mean? What is he trying to say? How have we been made clean? Guys, listen, you and I, if you're a born again believer, we have been made clean by his death on the cross. We have been made clean by his shed blood. By his sacrifice, we have been made clean. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians. He said, once you were alienated from God. So before you found Christ, you were alienated from God. There was a great chasm between the two of us. We were separated from God. It says, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Sin had a hold on you. Sin had a grip on you. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy. Now he's going to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So once you were alienated from God because of your sin, but now that you've invited Christ into your life, he's gonna present you holy. He's gonna present you righteous. Guys, 
Do you want to see a righteous man? Here's a front view. Here's a side view. You want to see another righteous person? Go home and look in the mirror. But I'm not righteous. Listen to me. I'm not righteous because of anything I've done. You're not righteous because of anything you've done. We're righteous because of what Christ did, because of the price, the ultimate price that he paid on the cross. Listen, you are connected to the vine. That's what makes you righteous. Your sustenance, your life comes from Christ. So that makes you righteous as well. A sinner made clean in Isaiah chapter one. It says, come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. So again, <clears throat> your holiness, your righteousness, it's nothing to do with you and everything to do with what Christ did on the cross for you, the sacrifice he made for you and for me. Verse four, <clears throat> remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is so important. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, we love self-help books. We, we love books that talk about accomplishing great things. And <clears throat> years ago, they called it PMA, having a positive mental attitude. And, and there's nothing wrong with those things. Listen to me. I, I recognize I, I'm a big dreamer. I'm a big believer in visions and, and uh, believing in doing big things for God. The problem is we have to understand where our source is. Because if I think I can accomplish big things because I'm so good, I'm missing the point. And Paul writes in Philippians chapter four, it says, I can do all this through him. I can do all things, some translations say, through him who gives me the strength. Guys, we have to recognize we can't do anything on our own, but we can accomplish anything God purposes or plans in our life through his strength. Our success is not because of our own self-achievement. It's because we remain with him, because we're in relationship with him. Friends, the only reason we're fruitful or spiritually productive is because of the vine. To accomplish God's plan for your life, you have to stay connected with Jesus. You have to stay connected to the vine. Have you ever, have you ever heard somebody, or maybe you said it yourself, maybe you say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty well connected. I'm pretty well connected. If you need something, just let me know. I've got a lot of strong connections. I can take care of that for you. I, I know the right people. I, I have a guy. I have a connection, an acquaintance, a friendship with someone that can get things done. Listen, guys, there are just some things that are hard to do without some kind of connection. But guys, when it comes to producing fruit, the secret is being well-connected. Just as the branch can't produce fruit apart from the vine, you and I cannot produce fruit apart from Christ. So how will I know if someone's connected to the vine? <clears throat> we look around the room, we all look pretty similar. How do we know if a person's truly a believer? How do we know if someone's truly connected to the vine? Jesus said, well, you'll know them by their fruit. Matthew chapter seven, 
<clears throat> a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Good fruit will only be produced when you're connected to the vine. You say, okay, so what are we talking about, Steve? I get what you're saying, but what is fruit? What do you mean we'll produce fruit? Well, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul explains that to us in Galatians chapter 5. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Guys, the evidence, <clears throat> the evidence that you're a believer, the evidence that you're growing spiritually is the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus tells us that you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know that a person truly is a follower of Christ. You'll know that they're growing in their faith if we see the, that fruit evident in our life. If you see somebody that, that uh, has no fruit, they're not demonstrating any of those things, then it's not likely they have a healthy relationship with God. Apart from me, the scripture said, remember, you can do nothing. Now that almost can be offensive. Well, what in the world does that mean, Pastor? I don't know that I like that statement. There are some things I can do. There are, you know, I, I, I can hold down a job, maybe even a promotion if I work hard enough. I can get married. I can, I can raise a family. I can participate in a hobby. I can do some things without Jesus. Guys, listen. What Jesus is saying to us is that you cannot do anything of permanent value apart from Christ. You cannot do anything of permanent spiritual value that will last for eternity apart from Christ. In other words, guys, when you come to the end of your life, you will see that anything you gain in this world without Jesus is worthless. When you lay in, on your deathbed and you know that you've only got moments to live, the things in life that matter are not going to be the things that you, that you accumulated. It's not going to be the things of this world. The things that will matter when you get to that point of life is the things that are eternal. Jesus said all the things of this world are wood, hay, and stubble. Those things may seem important in the moment, but they just don't matter in the scope of eternity. Friends, you were designed, listen, <clears throat> you were designed by God to be connected to him. Do you get that? That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That would, that's what it means to accept him in your life. You were created and designed by God to be connected to him. And the only thing that will matter for all eternity is what you did in obedience to the Lord, what you did to, to fulfill his purposes in your life. So the only way you will ever experience that type of peace or joy or contentment that the scripture speaks about is by being connected to the vine. Did you know there's over 7,000 promises in the Word of God? Think about that. <clears throat> 7,000 promises in the Word of God. And every one of those promises has a prerequisite. What does that mean? It means God is faithful to do His part, but He also tells us what He expects out of us. And He's saying that His promises are true, but you've got to do this. Let me just say this. There is only one promise that has no prerequisite. And that's God's love for you. God loves you no matter what you do. It doesn't take a prerequisite. Every other promise in God's word tells us what he expects out of us. 
God's faithful to do his part if we're faithful to do ours. In fact, 11 times in these 11 verses, we hear him say, remain in me, or if you remain in me. Some translations use the word abide. If you abide in me, if you, you know, or it just continually talks about that. But both words mean basically the same thing. They mean to stay with. So if you will stay with God, if you'll stay connected to God, then my friends, you'll see his promises fulfilled. Friends, last of all, if there was no other issue I could get you to settle today, it would be this one. It would be to draw a line in the sand and say, no matter what happens, I'm gonna stay connected to the vine. No matter what happens in my life, no matter how difficult it becomes, I'll never turn my back on Christ. <clears throat> Please hear me on this. That's something you have to determine before you get to that trial. You have to determine, you have to make a decision now that look, I know tough times are gonna come. Jesus told me difficult times were gonna come. But when they do, it doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter whether I understand it or not. I trust him. And so therefore, I've drawn a line in the sand and I will never turn my back on him because for the rest of my life, I'm gonna stay connected to him no matter what difficulty. Listen, George Whitfield was a great preacher in the 1700s throughout England. God used him in a major way to bring revival throughout the land. In fact, it's often been called the Great Awakening. I'm sure you've heard it before. Thousands of people responded to the gospel because of his preaching. But one time after he finished a sermon, someone went up to him and asked him, so how many people were saved tonight? And he said, I don't know, we'll know in five years. What an odd thing to say. I don't know, we'll know in five years. What was his point? His point is that it takes time to see which decisions were just an emotional response and which ones were a genuine commitment to Christ, which ones truly surrendered their heart to the Lord. It takes time to see which ones are gonna produce fruit. Look at verse seven. If you, so here's, here's a prerequisite and a promise. This is what I'm talking about. If, okay, here's the prerequisite. This is what you have to do. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, here's the promise. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Now, a lot of people think this first means that I can ask anything that I absolutely want and God is obligated to give it because that's what he said in his word. And so we quickly point to the last part of that, the last point of that promise. Ask whatever you wish, it'll be done. But guys, we forget about the first part that said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Did you see that? The word if is huge. Probably the biggest words on the paper. So this is perfect example of prerequisite to a promise. God is faithful if we'll do our part. You say, okay, Steve, but let's go back to God being faithful to his part. Is that really true? Will he answer any of our prayer? Well, let's talk about this for a minute. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. In other words, if you stay connected to me and my word or the truth of God's word is a part of you. In other words, as I surrender my will to God's will, what's gonna happen? His wants are gonna become my wants. You see, if I'm truly focused true north and I truly have the mind of Christ because I'm walking in the spirit, all of a sudden, the things that God wants becomes the things that I want. So guys, I, I'm no longer concerned about my own selfish desires, but instead all I want is for God's will to be accomplished in all areas of life. 
which, was, which will affect how I pray and what I ask for. Does that make sense? Well, let me give you another example. In Psalms chapter 37, he writes, take delight in the Lord. In other words, walk in the spirit, focus true north, take delight in the Lord, and what will happen? He will give you the desires of your heart. Some people read that and they'll say, oh, see, now I can pray for a new Cadillac, and he promises he's gonna give it to me. That's not at all what that's saying. Take delight in the Lord, and what will he do? He will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, he'll take the, his desires and place them in you. I hope that's beginning to make sense. So as you delight in the Lord, as you remain connected to him, he'll begin to place within you the desires he wants you to have. For instance, I can tell you guys part of my daily prayers as I pray for my neighbors to be saved. I have a desire for the local church to grow. I pray for my children uh, to, to walk with Christ. I pray for the children in slavery in the fishing industry in Ghana. These are the things that I pray for on a regular basis. And I believe that God placed those things, those desires in my heart. So does that help you to see how God has given me the desires of my heart? Guys, when you're drawing your life from him and he begins to produce fruit in you and through you, you'll want what God wants. You'll pray for what God wants. You'll pray for the things that matter to him. You'll pray for the things that will focus you on him, that please him. And when you do, verse eight, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples so that God would be glorified. He's pleased when you bear much fruit. He's pleased when others see the evidence of Christ in your life. He's pleased by a life that's connected to God. Verse nine, as the, Father, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love, remain, abide, stay connected. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus always delivers what he promises. Guys, there's no greater evidence that Jesus is alive than a born-again, spirit-filled, fruit-bearing, joyful Christian. Seriously, your life then becomes an advertisement for what it means to be a Christian. When you're connected to the vine, when you're connected to God, and people spend time with you, they'll want what you've got. They may not even be able to define what it is, but maybe you're going through a difficult time, but they still see something real in you, something genuine in you, something solid in you, which is Christ living in you. And it's like, I don't know how you do it. If, I, if, if it were me, I would fall apart. I don't know how you do it. I want what it is that you have. I don't understand what it is, but I want that in my life. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is such, goodness sakes, this is such a powerful statement. When you're connected to the vine, when you have a healthy relationship with the Lord, you will experience joy. 1 Peter 1, it says, you have not seen Christ, but still you love him. You cannot see him now, but you believe in him. So you are filled with a joy that cannot be explained, a joy full of glory. 
throughout the years. I, I've heard this so many times. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've said it. Parents will say, I just want my kids to be happy. I just want my kids to be happy. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about happiness. We're talking about joy, and it is completely different. Happiness is based on your circumstances or your situation. In other words, if I'm going to work today and every light's green, I'm a happy camper. If I'm coming home from work today and every light's red, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm not happy. What happened? The circumstances changed. And so we're happy because we like the circumstances, we're sad and discouraged because we don't like the circumstances. That's not the case with joy. Joy's based on a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Regardless whether you have wonderful circumstances or horrible circumstances, you will experience a joy that only Christ can bring in your life. That's what Christ wants you to experience. That's what we're talking about today. Joy is based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you have a healthy relationship with him, you're gonna feel his joy. What about you, my friends? Are you feeling the joy of the Lord in your life? You know, uh, several years ago, I had a, a leak in one of my tires, and I should have just gone in and had the tire fixed, but instead, every so many days, it would, you could fill the tire up, and it'd last about three days, and I'd have to whip into a filling station and fill the tire back up and be on my way for another couple days, but then it'd be low again. And you know, why didn't I just go get it fixed? That's all I needed to do was get it fixed. But instead, I just kept stopping and filling up with air. It was so frustrating, but some Christians are just like that. They often find themselves low or discouraged, so they go to church and they get encouraged, their worship service is wonderful, and they leave and they're feeling better now, but then by the middle of the week, they're discouraged again. You see, they've not fixed the problem. The problem is they're not connected to the vine. They're not focused on Jesus. They have strayed away from true north. They're not abiding or delighting themselves in the Lord. Once a Christian decides to delight themselves in the Lord, to abide in him, to focus on him, that's when you'll fix the leak. Now, guys, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty because you feel low at times. We all get discouraged at times. We all grieve. We all get angry. We all feel sad. We all feel low. But what this passage is trying to tell us is that even when you do feel low, if I'm focused on God, I'll still experience an underlying joy, an underlying contentment, knowing that God is in control and he is a good God that loves me. I did a series uh, at our church a couple years ago, and I, I brought out these, so you're gonna have to use your imagination since I don't have them with me, but I brought out these two pillars, white pillars, and on one of them I wrote control, and on the other one I wrote goodness. And I said, on the one side, I believe that God is in control. I believe that he's on the throne and that he has my back. I believe in God's goodness. I believe that he loves me and wants the best for me. And as long as I stand between these two pillars, I'm gonna experience a peace that passeth all understanding and a joy unspeakable that's full of God's glory. The problem is when I step out of these two pillars, maybe I say, well, I know, I know he's a good God and I know that he loves me, but man, the world's in bad shape. I don't know if he's in control or not. What happens? All of a sudden, the peace, contentment, and joy go down and fear, worry, and anxiety begin to rise. 
Or I could step over on this side and I could say, I know God's on the throne, but I don't know, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. I don't know if he loves me. Worry, fear, and anxiety rise. Peace, joy, contentment go down. That's why as believers, it is, if we really want to experience the joy of the Lord, we have to stand between those two pillars. I know God's in control. I know he has my back. And I know he's a good God that absolutely loves me and wants the best for me. Listen, that brings a sense of joy even when I'm sad about my circumstances. Guys, to live with that kind of joy all the time, oh my goodness, it's such a powerful motivator. It's the kind of joy that makes you wanna continue to serve him. It's like, man, I know this is rough. I don't understand what God's doing in my life, but I love him so much. I just feel close to him. I feel connected to him. I feel that joy. Hebrews chapter 12 Let us look only to Jesus, the one who began our faith and who makes it perfect, or in other words, makes it mature, to grow. He suffered death on the cross, but he accepted the shame as if it were nothing because of the joy that God put before him. He accepted the shame because of the joy that God put before him. And now he's sitting at the right-hand side of God's throne. He accepted the shame that the world tried to put on him as if it were nothing because of the joy that God placed in his life. Certainly, that's what God wants for you and for me, that no matter what comes your way, you sense the joy that God has put in your life. He knew his followers were gonna go through hard things. He knew, Christ knew that you and I were gonna experience difficult things in the future. And what he's promising us, listen to me on this as I close. What he's promising us is not wealth. Please hear me, Christians. The word of God is not promising us wealth. It's not promising us material possessions. He's not promising us influence or power. But what he's promising us is something better than any of those things. He's promising us joy. Joy. Guys, when you and I remain in Christ, And we experience a joy that can only come from a connection with the vine. You'll never experience this kind of joy until you first surrender your life and your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to decide. You have to decide that you're gonna stay connected with him. And if you're being honest with yourself today, if you're being transparent with your own self, you might recognize that I've drifted from true north. Not far, but I've drifted and it does seem to be getting further and further away. Please know, you don't have to jump through hoops to come back true north. Jesus constantly stands with his arms open wide just saying, come back home. Come on, I love you. I wanna be connected with you. I wanna be in relationship with you. It just takes you making a conscious connection. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads in prayer with me, please. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Is there anybody in, you're a believer, you're a Christian, but if you're being honest today, you've drifted from true north and you need to come back. Just raise your hand, I wanna pray for you and then put it back down. Yep, yep, yep. You've drifted, but you wanna come back. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, I see. Anybody else? Yep. Yes, 
I've drifted, but I want to come back. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your faithfulness. You're an amazing God. I thank you, Lord God, that no matter how many times we mess up, no matter how times we, how many times we step away from true north, you constantly stand with your arms open wide saying, I love you, I want to be in relationship with you. And so I just pray today, God, that if we've drifted, and for every single person that raised their hand that's being honest and transparent and saying, yeah, I've drifted, that God, we would refocus on you, align ourselves with you, connect ourselves to the vine and come back home. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we praise you. We ask it all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We hope this message challenged you, encouraged you, and most of all, brought you closer to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you. If you have any questions about taking next steps in your faith journey, simply text NEXT to 309-777-0677. Everyone has a next step, and here at Vail, we would love to walk alongside you. If this message was impactful to you, we encourage you to share it. To stay connected to everything Vail Church, feel free to subscribe. Visit our website at vail.church and follow our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, for all of those who call Vail Church home, let's remember, worship faithfully, connect intentionally, give generously, and serve sacrificially. We'll see you next week.